Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he walks by your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Ty Hua here with my co-host, John Cons, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect practical advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we have an interview with a real live priest, the baby priest, the one, the only, Father Travis Crotty. Welcome. Thank you. How long will I be called a baby priest? Because I have been ordained three whole years. <laughs> you got to talk to my wife. <laughs> my, technically a toddler priest at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I have moved on to the pull-ups of the priest world and uh, try to show my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so good. It's no, good to be with you guys. It, no, it's, it's great to have you. But just on the baby priest note, you dubbed yourself the baby priest when my wife and I were dating. She went to mass with me, and you had given the homily, and you were freshly ordained, and you okay. called yourself the baby priest, and she couldn't remember your name, so she now refers you to Father Baby Priest. That I will take that. Um, if I gave myself that nickname in homily, I guess that's on me. <laughs> that's really you just, funny. You're just gonna have to live it out. <laughs> Let yeah. it this one play. We, we now fun. have in our diocese we have two priests who are more younger than me in ordination, but only one of them is younger than me. So I'm still, yeah, I, I'll take it. I'm still the baby priest. Yeah, sure. I, I suppose that that can be a weird dynamic sometimes. Somebody's been ordained longer, but they're younger because someone came to it. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> does the seniority go with the age or with the amount of time in the priesthood? Uh, there, It's interesting. Like the seminary dynamics are interesting when there are guys who are, you know, older in formation. They've been in seminary longer, but then there's guys uh, who are coming in with a lot more life experience. So that's always mm-hmm. an interesting, yeah, dynamic and stuff. But we grow up and we are integrated grown men. So it's, we're on the it's same like team. having brothers. You just whoever hits the hardest is in charge. Uh, yeah, is yeah. That, but then yeah. in philo- <laughs> right. with with a bunch of philosophy guys, it's like whoever can like give the biggest, you know, theological or philosophical dig the hardest is like you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. But right. nowadays, I mean, we're getting crazy assignments all over the place. So young guys are pastors. I'm the vocation director, so everybody's on the same team. We're just, yeah, working in the vineyard. We're, we're heading the same direction. That's yeah. great. Well, today we're, we're super happy to have you with us. Um, Catholic ministry professionals obviously exist to help church workers have better conversations, do better work so that they can transform their parish. And the, the ministry really started for me with a conversation I had with my wife where she pointed out how frustrated Catholic ministry professionals were in their work. Um, and, and if I'm honest, a lot of that frustration really just comes from working with people, which which means that most of those frustrations come from, you know, that come from working at parish. It's not really unique to parish life. But the one thing that is unique, I think, to working in a parish um, is, is the role of the priest, as opposed to in the secular world. I don't know that there's anything that really would equate to that. I think it's this kind of this, this different dynamic because you have these guys that are um, they're trained to do a very specific thing, a very specific ministry, and then they're made the CEO of a multimillion-dollar corporation, which is the parish. And th- so there's this really interesting dynamic that exists where they're in charge, but there's not necessarily, um, in my experience, a lot of leadership formation that comes with that. 
And so uh, one of the things we really want to do with this podcast, and one of the reasons you're on here is because we want to make sure that it's, it's not just us as lay people talking into a void, but that priest's voice are part of the conversation we're having. And and so we're really glad that you're here to answer for all priests everywhere. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad I can be the mouth, the, yeah, the mouthpiece of all priests. For the <laughs> universal church. Who's only, been a, who's only been a priest in a parish for two years and is now living an extremely uh, kind of irregular priestly life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let me just get out of the way, though. Tell people a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, you know, we mentioned you're the vocations director, but yeah, who is yeah. Father Travis Karate and what does he do? I am uh, a baby priest, as they say, <laughs> um, for the Diocese of Sioux City, Iowa, which is in northwest Iowa, the northwest quarter of the state. I have been ordained three years. I was a COVID baby priest ordination, which was kind of wild. Um, I was assigned in Lamar's, Iowa, where you live now, John, for two years and I was loving it. I was a parish priest. I was at the high school. And then just a year ago, I became the vocation director living in Sioux City. I'm in residence at our cathedral. I help cover masses. I'm able to do Spanish mass. So I cover masses a lot. I also help out at uh, your alma mater, Briarcliff, um, with the evening, uh, the evening mass that they have there. So I'm kind of the, I'm the vocation director. I'm the chaplain of the evening mass at Briarcliff. I'm also the high school chaplain of Bishop Heelan Catholic High School in Sioux City. Um, so I live at a parish church, but I'm not actually a parish priest, um, but I cover masses all over the place. So vocation director, the, the kind of job description is to accompany men in kind of discernment for the seminary. Um, and then the seminary formators kind of take over there, but I help the guys discern. I, you know, put on different discernment re- retreat experiences in the diocese, mm-hmm. help promote a culture of vocations. Um, and yeah, then just do priestly ministry, like at the high school and at the college. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, I mean, that that's fascinating to me because you've gone from the seminary so quickly into being in a role to help form the seminarians or at least walk men towards right. the seminary, help them to discern that. Has that been, I guess, uh, you know, do you feel like the practical experience of actually working in a parish or being the priest, has that been kind of a tough road to navigate or is it it's just kind of a natural outflow of, your gifts and talents that God gave you that, that you feel really well yeah, equipped or that's a great question. I was actually, um, I went to seminary at a high school. So I was in seminary for nine years. I was in college seminary for four. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, a spirituality year, uh, which is kind of a retreat year. And then in grad school for four. So what's interesting is I'm helping. We, we split the vocations job. Sometimes it's the same guy who's the kind of gets the guys to seminary. And then the guy who kind of accompanies them through seminary, with their evaluations every year and stuff like that. A lot of people don't realize that because it can seem from the outside that a guy is just kind of kicked off to this like, you know, priest school. And then he just does all these, um, he, he studies for a long time and then has these kind of requisite knowledge to become a priest. And then your initial question was really helpful because when you're, you know, talking about why I'm on, it's this idea that, well, priests have a lot of theological knowledge, but then they get kicked into a parish. They don't necessarily have leadership kind of business qualities or, or training that they might need in that capacity. What's helpful for me is that I'm helping men discern the seminary and I spent nine years in seminary. So I actually have a lot of experience with that stuff, right? With the question of like, mm-hmm. is God calling me to seminary and how to walk with these men? Um, I think with a lot of young guys right now, whether they're young pastors or other brother vocation directors, there's always this kind of feeling of inadequacy that like we don't have enough stuff. But I think for like, you know, 
married men and for fathers, it's the same way too. It's like, you're not, you're not actually ready. You know, if you like, you you weren't ready to get married. I mean like, but Mm. you are right. We have the capacity to, and there's this continuing openness to growth that comes. Um, so what I found is, uh, yeah, I miss the parish life. That's what I was ordained for. Mm. Like, that's what mm-hmm. a diocesan priest does, is to be a parish priest. It was just uh, St. John Vianney's feast day recently, and he's the patron saint of parish priest. And that's the, I mean, that's what I am as a diocesan priest. So the specialized ministry that I'm doing now, it, it kind of happens alongside my brothers who are in parish ministry. Mm-hmm. So those, I mean, those two years were not exhausted by any means, but it is pretty wild. Um, I'm sure just like in those first few like months or years of parenting, uh, you learn a lot. <laughs> so even just in the first two years of parish ministry, like it's just kind of wild, just like three years of priesthood. It's like, I've heard a lot in confession, you know, I've had a lot of, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a lot of stuff. I've worked with a lot of people already. And like, you know, just those, it was, it was pretty packed for those first few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then even, in, I, I like that idea that you kind of learn on the job. And, and I've said that a, a number of times too, that I got my theology degree, but I learned how to do ministry when I was doing it, right. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and that, and that's a huge part of my story is how that led to a deeper conversion for me, just being in that role to minister and what that meant for my life and my response, um, spiritually to the call that was built into that. But I, I you can really see that. And in, you know, like that analogy of parenting, then once you've got it figured out, you run into a new scenario, right? Your kid goes into a new age of development, your, uh, your spiritual children, your spiritual children, you know, you enter into a new area of, of ministry. You have a new area of growth where you need yeah. to learn. Something unique, I was just thinking when you are saying that, uh, there's nothing magic about the, you know, grace of ordination. Um, that is a real mm-hmm. thing. It's a sacramental gift. But I think what is pretty wild is I showed up as a, you know, 27-year-old in my first parish assignment. And that first week, nobody, nobody cared that I had just been ordained for like a month. They just mm-hmm. saw me as father. They called me father. And they expected me to be the one to minister the sacraments to them, right? That was formative in itself. Like mm. the the parishioners or those who I'm in ministry with, they kind of call me on. Like they they become God's instruments to call me on to this identity that I've received in priesthood. Um, and that that's part of that formation, just like a husband and wife is, just like yeah. children are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that <laughs> there's an element of kind of fake it till you make it. Oh yeah, a little bit. You're <laughs> saying that there's that element of entering into that. Yes, I. It's funny you say, I remember I had been in ministry for about 10 years, and my first interaction with a priest who I think he had just been ordained, and I, I remember having this moment in my head of being like, listen, kid, <laughs> this is how this is done, <laughs> and having to kind of walk myself back and be like, well, no, he's still he's still the priest here. Like, there's a real spiritual fatherhood that exists between us, and it's, uh, I suppose, you know, like any any dad who's raised a son who's now a priest, you know, maybe the interaction between you and your own father, um, that role of he's your dad, but you're a father in a spiritual sense. And it's just kind of this weird dynamic that comes out um, in the the messy human element of, of life and ministry. So we want to do a rapid fire response uh, to our most listened to topics. So goal is to keep the answers short. We don't have to get too theological in a sense, but let's hit on some rapid fire questions. You ready? I'm all, I'm all about that. Let's go. How do you avoid burnout in ministry? This is going to sound really cliche, but I just think like really good friendships. Um, 
people that help me stay in front. I'm going to talk about myself. Um, people that help me stay in front of the different problems that I'm, I'm facing. Like, so to be isolated and it just isn't going to work. Um, and I've already seen that. So brother priest, but I think really like good friends, good lay people who can keep me honest with it. And I think that needs to translate to, I mean, that's very clear for my brother priest. Guys who have problems are guys who are isolated, but I think that's true in ministry in general. It can be isolating. Um, especially, especially in the, like the, the rural upper Midwest, when there's not a lot of other people who are living the same life or it might be, you know, if there's, okay, you're, you're, you're working on parish ministry. There's not a lot of other kind of colleagues. I mean, there are in some places, but if you feel kind of alone in that priesthood's the same, but I just think like good friendship, friends who can be honest with me and keep me in front of, uh, the truth of like who I am as a beloved son of God, the truth of who God is, but also just like whether, yeah, whether I'm doing something well or do something poorly, um, good friends. What if the pastor is the reason I can't get things done? <laughs> that's so good. That's and so good. go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I just think like Father Shane is on my podcast with me. We could talk about that later. Um, we've talked about this a few different times, and he has always offered the kind of like devil's advocate of saying like, well, the pastor's got a lot of his plate, blah, blah, blah. I've also been a young priest with a pastor myself. Um, I don't think, I think there's so much in the church still, there's a good deference to the priesthood, but there's this weird deference toward the priesthood that turns into, we can't ever actually offer helpful criticism to our pastor because it seems like we're complaining. We'll complain behind his back all day, sometimes immediately after mass, you know, out to donuts but I'd never actually offer like a helpful criticism. But also if I'm ever, if I'm like ready to offer the criticism, am I, am I ready to offer uh, help? Right. And I know that sure. a lot of people who are working in ministry or who are the volunteers, they're the ones who feel like they're struggling the most. Right. Or if like they're actually in the parish, but I just think like open and honest conversations that cut through some of that weird kind of like Catholic deference toward the priest. That's not actually like good. Um, that puts the priest on a pedestal, which actually makes him not very human. And then actually you can shoot arrows at him, right? But you're never going to like go meet him on his level and say, hey, this is like what actually needs to happen or this isn't helpful, you know? Yeah, yeah he's like a real human. So <laughs> you can and talk And I think in a real way too, it's like, and if you're in a place where the pastor is just very difficult to work with, it's like there are ways to kind of like talk to the vicar for clergy, the vicar general to talk. I mean, eventually talk to the bishop. We're not shooting there if you're just a, par a parishioner, right? You want to talk like mm -hmm. subsidiarity, like talk in the most local level first. But I think like to not just like, it's like, well, this is just what we get. So we're just going to complain behind his back and never talk about it. Yep. How do we have better meetings? Hmm. Huh. I think again, like the open and honest thing. Um, I've just, uh, we're <laughs> Midwesterners. Gar. Have you ever been in a good meeting? That's yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I, oh, good. I think <laughs> few and far between. It's um, <laughs> a classic. Uh, yeah. Just the classic thing when people talk about like leadership and meetings is there's always the meeting after the meeting, right? Everybody tries mm. to be kind of like weirdly professional in the meeting and not actually say what they feel. I, I, I tend to be the guy who says what I feel or says what I feel. Um, and I, I did. Yeah. The open and honest conversations that can happen in a professional way in those meetings can be really helpful. One thing that I know our formators in seminary, these really like solid integrated priests, they talked about creating a culture of prayer in their parishes surrounding their, their team, surrounding their ministry team. And I know that sometimes that can just look like ripping off a quick prayer before the meeting. But the, the places that I found the most fruit 
when there's actually a culture of discernment that's built in so that the meetings aren't this isolated experience of meeting together of like we have to do this once a week because it says in some you know protocol that we have to have some sort of you know staff meeting otherwise the bishops can be breathing down our neck or something like that no if there's a culture where i i know a few different parishes that i've you know been associated with the staff will either have an intentional time of praying Lexio Divina together or they'll pop in the Adoration Chapel for half an hour. Just the culture of that, where there's this recognition of we're actually all trying to discern the vision here together. We're trying to be on the same page. Um, I think that offers like a that that offers a context to actually have open and honest conversations. Um, nobody likes meetings, but I think healthy and helpful meetings are really good. Productive meetings are good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they make they make me happy. Yeah. So in terms of Catholic ministry professionals, why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> Isn't that like a question? What? It's a question to you guys. <laughs> but, but, but in terms of no, a, it's true. Uh, a it's priest. True. No, I think so. Um, this isn't like a selfish plug for my own podcast, but I think Catholics in general right now today, whether you're in a bustling metropolitan area or in a rural parish, there is a feeling, there is just like a, a communal feeling of feeling a little outcast because the culture has become so secular um, and feels aggressive against the church. So then working within the church that can often be even more, you know, isolating and more feeling of an outcast. I just think that's what it comes down to. It's like there are so few people relative to the number of Catholics actually doing this work. And I think the bigger thing that I, I kind of get on this um, soapbox sometimes but I'll make it quick for you because we're doing rapid fire questions here. Um, we are still working out of a Christendom context that saw priests basically doing everything for the longest time. I work in a high school that used to be completely staffed by priests and nuns. There's a dorm building across the street that used to be a dorm building that only held priests who taught at the high school. That's now a retirement home for priests. And I'm the only priest who's associated with the school as a part-time chaplain, right? parishes used to be a priest and a gal who like took care of like accounting stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. nuns did most of that. So I think the frustration that so many people feel is we're still working out of a kind of a framework that's outdated. That doesn't really like match up with the church we're living in today. So I think this work that you guys are doing of trying to call to mind the different struggles and joys and trying to help guide and lead people in the right direction in Catholic ministry as professionals it's something that's still new in the church. So I think it still needs care and attention. So what if something isn't in the budget, Father? I think, again, this is the guy who's never had to deal with a budget at a parish, but I'll give my hot takes anyways, you know. I, for the most part, a lot of parishes do have money in certain different, you know, areas. So the question is, where is the money in the budget? Um, because there's, I've seen this, you know, on a diocesan level and I've seen this in parishes what gets the most attention is the immediate sort of like requirements and duties of the pastors. So funerals, weddings, Sunday masses, daily mass, and then finances. And what gets the least amount of attention is all of the other ministry that goes on, whether that's volunteer stuff, whether that's catechesis, evangelization, all that stuff. So the biggest question is, okay, schools are a big apostolate of our parish. That's fine. Okay, we're sitting on all this money, you know, for these different kind of things. We do the fall festival, whatever, you know, we do the whatever the spaghetti dinner might be. Okay, fine. So there's money coming in. I see this with Knights of Columbus when I was, you know, we were in, in college. It's just like, what is the fundraising for, if not for the sake of the mission of the parish, right? So I think the bigger question needs to be, where are there, I mean, we got to keep the lights on everything else, but also 
what's the whole point of this, right? If the point is, if the point is building the kingdom of God, if the point is proclaiming the gospel of Christ, then money needs to be present there. So youth ministers, directors of evangelization, right? Pastoral associates, whatever that might look like. I think there can be places where those funds are available. Um, I can just say from my own experience at a parish, when I was able to bring up to the finance council, the need for a youth minister, I was shocked to see the response of the of the finance council, I thought I'd get a lot of pushback because I watched the men on the finance council argue for 45 minutes about possibly selling like two acres worth of land behind the church. <laughs> and, and there was, there was, it was like loggerheads. There was no way they were going to like come to a decision. I'm like, there's no way. Well, when I explained just the need of our young people and to be accompanied, all of them said, well, obviously we should support our young people right now. So I just think it's clear that people know where the need is and maybe the funds need to follow that. And this is going to be the biggest topic that we've talked about. Probably the most popular. It's it's the one that gets the most traffic when you look at behind the scenes on like Apple Podcasts and things like that. Everybody wants to know. How do you change the culture of a parish? Oh, baby. I love this one. So I was invited, as I often am, to these like offshoots of Theology on Tap stuff at different parishes. And I went to a particular one that was hosted in a pretty small rural parish that is known for being a little stubborn. Uh, so I'm not going to name that parish. But um, at this certain event that had an older demographic who was present, um, there was the, the proposed topics that I cover were a lot of big hot button issues in the church today. The German bishops, things Pope Francis has said, like just this big stuff in the world. And I basically ended up giving a talk on subsidiarity that's often spoken of with, you know, social uh, work in the church. But I said, okay, what we're invited to do from the Lord and from the church is to focus on our own holiness. And then after that, our families. (laughs) And then after that, our parish. And then maybe if you have time and energy to focus on the diocese. And then pretty much go to bed because there's no time to worry about all these different problems in the world. Um, so it's just like what's so clear is that the need is to first start with myself. It's to start with the question of like, am I following Christ? Um, am I being faithful? Am I experiencing a life of, as like the Benedictines would say, continual conversion? That's such an important question. How do I get everyone else to focus on their own holiness then? Yeah, because <laughs> they're the problem, John. All they're the other the problem. people, all those other people. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, to tr- change the culture of a parish. Well, I just want a, a few different things that come to mind. I've been really impressed. Uh, my family's parish, so that I was able to see this. The pastor was extremely consistent, and ex- and this is there's a there's so many different levels of a parish, right? But I think, and guys might yeah, call me a young traditional priest, but it's like the liturgy is the thing that we do. Like how we worship together is what we do. That's what the church is about, right? The sacrifice of the mass is the source and summit of our Christian life. So I've watched different Mm -hmm. pastors be extremely intentional about cultivating a culture of, of prayer, of real prayer. And I watched the particular parish my family was go from like just a normal parish where people would get done with mass and they'd leave right away, go in peace, you know, the, the hymn is halfway through and they're busting out the door to get back to sit on their couch and watch TV or whatever because it's very important on a Sunday morning. But I just watched the way that Father celebrated Mass and the way that the people responded 
there used to be one family who would kneel down and pray after mass. And I watched over the years when I'd come back home uh, for different, you know, breaks and stuff, that the culture slowly was changing, that the culture was changing. It was changing by how father was praying. It was changing by the conversations he was having with his staff, just like these little ways. Um, And I was so hopeful when I was in the parish to see the potential that was available and to see the investment that took place. So from the parish kind of staff level, it's like to just expect people to change is not human. And it's not, as my rector and seminary would often say, if it's not slow, it's not human. So that's helpful for me who wants to see things happen immediately and change very rapidly. But no, I think the culture has to start with me as a priest, but also has to start with individuals. But I think the big thing that I'm always coming back to is like, this happens in the context of real relationship. It doesn't happen in the context of some just sort of like program that's implemented from the top down at a parish. Um, The parish isn't the building. The parish isn't the office. Uh, the parish is the body of Christ, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The people are the parish. The people are the church. um, And we gather together in these buildings. We, you know, we come together to celebrate who we are and to become more of who we are through the, through the mass, through the, like through the community that's lived. Uh, But I just think it's like, okay, you're focusing on yourself, you're focusing on your family. And then it's like the real question of where is God inviting me to invest in relationship? Um, not just going right for like, where should I volunteer? What program should I help implement? Where is God inviting me to, yeah, invest in relationships, right? Even if it's just like talking to people after mass, even that's how it starts, right? And then it becomes like, oh, there's a friendship, right? And I've been really pleased, John, to see how that's, you know, developed with, you know, the the, the families um, when I've been able to come over and visit and to see that, okay, there's real growth here. There's real potential, you know? There's a culture that's changing. Um, yeah, it's so much of it's just authentic, communion yes <laughs> built around the sacraments you know authentic communion out like outside of the church within the church but built around the sacraments and with that as the nuclei right the nucleus of that the reason for why we gather the reason for why we come together just to share supper to talk to share our faith mm-hmm. amen amen mm-hmm. well we we kind of started out this conversation reflecting on the uh the messiness that comes with with working with with people, and it wouldn't be the Catholic Ministry Professionals podcast if we didn't throw a little extra messiness in there, because um, every parish they got good old Ethel oh. in there who's always going to disagree with your decision. And so there was something really important that you talked about earlier um, that I'd like to throw out there in this week's Devil's Advocate. <laughs> dun dun. I usually direct this towards John, so I'm glad I have somebody else to direct this to. <laughs> Father... I'm surprised, I'm surprised he still likes you, Ty. <laughs> I say that every time I get an email about the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I invite him back every week. He's I'm still my glutton friend. for well, punishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hit it, hit it, Ty. Let's see it. If the catechism teaches us that parents have the first responsibility of catechizing and evangelizing their children, why do we need a vocations director? I love that question. That's so good. Absolutely. And I want to push that back all the time and be my own devil's advocate towards people because that's the idea that as the hip, young vocations director who can really connect with the youth, you know, I should just be jamming in vocations like crazy. Funny enough, I just kind of skimmed through an article somebody sent me today from the Catholic News Agency that was talking about certain, while there's kind of, there's been kind of a flat line of seminarians across the country 
So there's been different times in the church where there's been like big kind of like spike of vocations for like a long time. And then there's been times of big dips. But we're kind of at this interesting plateau right now. But the article is that certain seminaries in certain cities are seeing an actual like kind of growth, not just kind of a flash in the pan year, but seeing like an actual growth happening. What was helpful to, to see in that article was, I think it was the one of the rectors from uh, D.C., Father Griffin is his name, Peter Griffin. He mentioned that, you know, these this change in culture that happened in these dioceses were like probably decades in the making of parish priests being very holy and committed to their people and encouraging a culture of vocations, right? Not just freaking out the year that parishes started merging or pastorates started forming or all this stuff started happening. I felt that this year in like a really particular way that everybody's freaking out right now. So the question is vocation director, fix it, right? (laughs) Okay. So then I'm so glad this devil's advocate comes in because that's what I'm also always pushing back is like, listen, my job as a vocation director is to accompany a man who comes forward, who's discerning, who's discerning priesthood, who's already experienced baptism, who's experienced a formation in the faith, who's experienced a context within his family, within his community, that the church is something real and it's human and it's messy, but it's a place to be invested and it's a place to meet the, meet the Lord. It's a place to be converted, right? And I'm meeting that man and saying like, good, okay, how can I help you, you know, walk in this experience of discernment, this acute and particular way of trying to hear the Lord's voice and understanding these gifts of the priesthood that might be kind of stirring up in a guy. So I push that back on parishioners, you know, even in this conversation Mm -hmm. of just saying like, okay, everybody can complain about the lack of priests. Everybody can complain about, you know, in our diocese, we had lots of, you know, parish mergers over the past 10 years. You know, I'm in Sioux Falls right now and there's all the different changes in Omaha. It's happening across the entire country. It's happening. So the question is, what do we do right now? Well, what do we do right now is what we should have been doing this whole time. So it's not helpful to say, well, you should have been forming your, your young people, but everybody can complain, but it's, it's much more difficult to actually invite a young man to consider the priesthood or your children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. it, it's when you had 10 kids on the farm and one was going to take over the farm and the other boys had nothing else to do. It was pretty easy for him to consider, well, hey, the priesthood's a nice option, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's a little bit more of a risk. Um, so why am I the vocation director if parents should be the first uh, catechists of their children, the formators of their children? Because I'm a spiritual father as a priest, and I get to walk with these men who hopefully have experienced that initial formation with their families. And as they step into their adult life, they step into a new phase of discipleship, which has, uh, what do I want to say? Yeah, I'm on the other side of that to be able to accompany them at that stage of discipleship. Mm-hmm. I, I will say you had come over to our house when we had one of our first Friday groups oh, over. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I just remember the interaction between my son, who's he was four at the time, he's still four, um, <laughs> and the, it was really his first experience of having a priest in, his house. in the house at, at like especially being here a new house new priests all hanging out and he's old enough now to start thinking these things through and having these questions but i remember you just i think you said something like do you know what i do michael <laughs> and he, 
he had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm a priest. And I think you said, you could be a priest someday. You know, and just like yeah. as simple as laying that groundwork, like one is just the foundation of, are they encountering the Lord in the context of your family? Are they encountering the faith outside of us forcing them to go to church? You know, that, that it's more than just this thing we force them to do, but it sets this groundwork. So then when somebody comes in, like you or Ethel comes down the, the pew sometime and says, hey, you know, Michael, you'd be a really good priest someday, that it that it resonates on a deeper level and it's a right. real invitation. Um, I, I think that you're really right there. Yeah. And I think at a different time in the church, the vocation director really was just like the paperwork guy. Like sure. he was the one who the, the parish priest himself would be that first contact with the man because parish priests used to be there for like 40, 50 years. So it's like mm-hmm. he baptized the kid. He taught him how to altar serve. And he was also there, you know, to confirm him. So the, the, the guy, you know, probably talking to his mom, talking to his dad, came to his parish priest and his parish priest said, all right, it's time. We're going to, you know, sign you up for seminary with a vocation director. Mm-hmm. So I've had older priests assume that that's my role is just to sign guys up on the on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, actually, right now, because of where we find ourselves, uh, my job is really to meet men in their experience of conversion, their experience of discernment. Yeah. Well, hey, I think you did a great job with that devil's advocate. Hey, yeah, thanks, you're not even... It. You're not even sweating, from yeah. what I can tell. Well, so always a little that's... bit, but I do it okay. Right? <laughs> but that's just natural. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's a baseline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's what they don't teach you in seminary is that, you know, you got these cool vestments. You're looking forward to wearing the cassock. You get, you know, put them on. And then just like the experience, all the experience of like, you're, you're at your first mass. You got like three or four layers of clothes <laughs> on. You're, you're preaching for the first time. The adrenaline's going. You got Ethel in your face right before mass making some ridiculous demand. You know, you've got somebody telling you that the toilet paper's out in the bathroom. You're running around like crazy. And you get up there and you are just sopping wet afterwards. And they don't tell you that. They also don't tell you how annoying microphones are. So uh, if you want to, we don't want to talk about that. Well, we experienced that tonight, but yeah. in mm-hmm. churches mm-hmm. especially. <laughs> and and awesome. just so everybody knows, I had this idyllic vision where I was sitting across the table from Father Karate. And who we're, came to your who, house? Who, who yeah. came to your house tonight? <laughs> and now, because of microphone issues, we're recording in separate rooms. And I have an empty <laughs> chair across from me. Well... There's that. There's that. <laughs> all right. Well, we just have a couple quick questions for you just to be able to shout out because you're all over the diocese. Um, I, I know that this podcast has become a resource for people to go to. And so just an opportunity for you to share because you do see so many different parishes, so many different ways of approaching ministry. And just to, to kind of share really briefly, um, where do you see ministry being done well? Um, you know, maybe it's in the the parish that you're a part of, maybe you do the ministry really well or someone you follow, whatever it might be elsewhere in the country that you're like, well, they're doing something really special, really great there. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's <laughs> I'm thinking of the good places. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have a lack of <laughs> trying real to, hard to find no, one. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. I think right now, honestly, um, this is going to sound kind of like, you know, self fulfilling because I've just came out of seminary, but I think seminaries and uh, Catholic college Newman centers right now are kind of a hub of just like really solid discipleship. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of people in the church, especially who are close to um, college towns might've experienced focus missionaries, um, St. Paul's outreach, um, these different, these different um, apostolates that are ministering to college students. 
maybe in a different time in a different place in the church, um, young people came to a greater kind of place of maturity in their life, maybe in high school. Um, but I think today, just because of the struggles in our world, a lot of that's happening in college. So college, man, I can just name, I mean, like so many of the Midwest Newman centers at state universities are really crushing it. <laughs> and every time mm-hmm. I'm able to go, um, and as vocation director, especially the ones around Iowa and South Dakota and Nebraska, I've been able to go to, to just kind of be present as the vocation director. And it is so hopeful to go to a, you know, a, a name one in particular that I went to is Iowa state has a Thursday night mass at 9 PM, totally optional, 200 kids there. And just such a beautiful experience or the weddings I've been able to be a part of that have been an extension of like the university of Nebraska, Lincoln. Um, but I could just keep, I could, I mean, the, all of them in South Dakota and Iowa right now are just like, there's such a, a, a hotbed that's there. And then the extension of the seminaries. I mean, I went to the seminary in St. Louis, but I know in St. Paul as well are just these really beautiful places of really solid prayer, really solid discipleship. And those guys who are coming out are trying to really bring the gift of prayer, the gift of discernment, the gift of healthy, integrated, you know, integrated um, Christianity, you know, of understanding our identities, beloved sons and daughters, like experiencing that like in the parish then. So I've been able to see that in like a beautiful way. But I think those are two places that are really um, beacons of hope right now um, that I've been able to see in the diocese. Mm-hmm. I think in a particular way across the Midwest, um, I've also been recently following the movement of communion and liberation. It's kind of small in different places, um, but that's been a place of great, uh, yeah, accompaniment for me and my priesthood. Um, it's just a movement in the church, but places where Christians are taking it, taking their life seriously um, and following Christ um, with one another and through one another. Yeah. Yeah. I And I would say we don't necessarily have an actual step for this episode, but dear listener, listen to that part over again, because you've got some real resources close to home here in the Midwest. Like you could call up any one of these directors of, of the formation programs at these colleges that you mentioned, Father. Yeah. And I, I think they'd love to visit with you about how they approach the ministry and, and would love to invest in you as well, just to share thoughts, pick their brains. I'm sure they'd love to do that if you reached out. And that might be a good actionable step even coming from this one. Mm-hmm. So Father... If you had the attention of the whole world for hmm. 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Okay, go ahead. What would you say? Oh, man. I love, I'm just going to quote Pope Francis from uh, Evangelii Gaudium, his early document, 2013, The Joy of the Gospel. He said, on the lips of every catechist and evangelist, which I think should be on the lips of every Christian, he said this, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he walks by your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. And because I have 90 seconds, I'll say it again. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he walks by your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. Okay, if I can say, I mean, to say that is one thing, but to live that is another thing, right? And to recognize that I have a need myself. I have a fundamental need for Christ who is my destiny and he's the only one who's going to fulfill these needs of my heart and to recognize that he's given his life for me personally um, that he's yeah he's given his life for me to be saved but that he's accompanied me that he's not leaving me alone I think that's that's the hope that's the hope of what we're doing that's the hope of the of the gospel that'll preach yeah that'll go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great 
Awesome. Well, Father, it's been great to have you on the podcast. We're going to wrap it up here, but is there is there anywhere that listeners can go to connect with you or support the ministry you're doing here in the diocese? Sure, yeah. So I'm the vocation director, so we have a, a fun, you know, flashy website called SiouxCityPriest.org uh, where you can see our seminarians, you can pray for them, and you can, you know, uh, stay connected with the different happenings uh, that I'm up to. My predecessor, Father Shane Demon, and I also have a podcast called Outcast catholic two words there's no k like the screamo band uh, it's just outcast <laughs> catholic with that nice internal alliteration like everybody loves right mm. so outcast catholic uh podcasts on all the podcast uh platforms um and yeah that's that's what i got going right now all right well we'll put a link in the show notes thanks for being here yeah thanks for having me thanks for listening to the catholic ministry professionals podcast If you found today's show helpful, please immediately text it to your pastor and a friend in ministry so that others can find out about the show and begin transforming their parish through their work. Please give us some feedback by either submitting an honest review on your podcast app or emailing us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at catholicministryprofessionals.com. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard.